Hello and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers, and today I'm pleased to welcome Tom Moriarty. Tom Moriarty is president of Allidade Maintenance, Engineering, and Reliability Incorporated. Founded in 2004, its mission is to help others lead full and satisfying lives through physical asset management and productive leadership principles. Tom became a member of the Society of Maintenance and Reliability Professionals in 2002 and is currently the Government Relations Committee Chairman, a Florida Chapter Board Member, the Florida Central East District Director, and a CMRP since 2003. He has various credentials in RCM, root cause analysis, and predictive maintenance technologies. In 2018, he became an approved provider of productive leadership system training. Since 2008, Tom has been author of a monthly column on leadership in Plant Services Magazine. In November 2019, his book, The Productive Leadership System, Maximizing Organizational Reliability, was published and it's available through Amazon and Industrial Press. Tom earned a professional MBA in organizational development from the Florida Institute of Technology. He has a BS in mechanical engineering from Western New England University. He's a member of the American Society of Mechanical Engineers and a licensed professional engineer in Florida. Tom was a U.S. Coast Guardsman for 24 years, retiring as a Naval Engineering Lieutenant Commander in 2003. Prior to earning his commission, Tom was an enlisted machinery technician for over nine years. In 2003, Tom was honored by the National Society of Professional Engineers by being selected U.S. Coast Guard Federal Engineer of the Year for his accomplishments, including initiating a condition monitoring and precision maintenance program. Tom Moriarty, uh, welcome, and thanks so much for joining us. Hey, good morning, Tim, and uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Tom, your book is titled The Productive Leadership System, Maximizing Organizational Reliability. What exactly is organizational reliability, and how is that different from the product reliability that most of our listeners are familiar with? Right. So first, let me say that my background is in operations, maintenance, and reliability. Uh, Many years ago, I developed a basic model. Uh, The model was for improving maintenance and reliability. It had four phases. And uh, the first two phases had to do with making sure that your asset data was correct. So hierarchy, criticality, and configuration management. And the, the second piece of it was to make sure that there was an effective core maintenance management process. Uh, you know, typically including planning and scheduling. Um, And so that had to be efficient and effective uh, to be able to manage work properly. The third phase was to then implement uh, preventive and condition monitoring, preventative maintenance and condition monitoring. And then the fourth level was to then get to the advanced reliability and continuous improvement stuff. And uh, so, however, a few years ago, I realized that there was a foundational step that supported all of these phases of the model and uh, within maintenance and reliability being just one function within an organization, it was clear that there had to also be some sort of a coordinating function that aligned all of the other functions that needed to be in place so that you could have coordinated behaviors that would result in a culture of teamwork and reliability and quality. 
And so uh, the organizational reliability model was a foundational coordinating function that I ended up refining over the years. So regardless of what the group's function is within an organization, such as operations, maintenance, uh, you know, contracting, procurement, uh, HR even, uh, there has to be a model that supports accountability and alignment of these functions uh, in the work centers that work within them. So maintenance and reliability professionals think of reliability as kind of the probability that equipment, machinery, or systems will perform to their required, uh, you know, perform their required functions satisfactorily under specific conditions. So the organizational reliability is really the probability that the organization will, the organization as a whole will perform its functions uh, satisfactorily under defined conditions. So in maintenance and reliability, the organizational reliability model, you need direction, mission, vision, values, and objectives, but you also need guidance. And I refer to guidance as being policies, plans, processes, procedures, and measures. And they require the assets needed to carry out that guidance. So the right number of personnel, the tools, equipment, software, information, et cetera. So when you boil down the difference between organizational and product reliability, it's that organizational reliability applies to the system that supports productive leadership in an organization or a group within the organization. And it applies to maintenance and reliability functions, uh, but also to procurement, sales and marketing, engineering, shipping and receiving, et cetera. While uh, maintenance and reliability, uh, as understood within our community, is really focused on um, producing the right product or service at the right time, at the highest quality and lowest cost. Um, so you can't do that without all of the coordinating functions of organizational reliability. You know, Tom, it sounds like what you're saying is that uh, you may have a great product design, but reliability could be undermined as a result of a lack of organizational reliability. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you think about, uh, I, I think about organizational reliability uh, as really providing accountability. And so the organizational reliability model uh, really assigns accountability across each uh, organizational leadership level. And so that is really the mortar that holds everything together. You know, Tom, your, your book title also suggests that leadership isn't always productive. Uh, can you give some examples of what you might consider non-productive leadership? Yeah, I would bet that everybody listening to this podcast uh, has examples in their own history as well. But uh, you know, maybe some of the more common examples would be when a senior person uh, is told that there's not enough resources, like uh, you've got a 10 person work center, but you've only got, you know, seven people in the work center, but you're still expected to carry out all of the tasking that's in the guidance that you receive. Um, you know, so oftentimes that senior person abdicates their accountability and says, just get it done. Right. So, um, that's one of the ways that it gets manifested. Uh, an area that many people don't equate with leadership is when there's uh, not enough guidance in place either, right? So remember that guidance includes policies, plans, processes, procedures, and measures. So whenever you see two groups that have a conflict or a disagreement, say uh, an operations first shift and second shift or operations and maintenance work centers on the same shift, um, there can be conflict or disagreements. Um, when, when you see those, you can be pretty sure that there's a lack of guidance. 
and guidance really boils down to whether there are ambiguities, gaps, or overlaps, and who's res- because when you have ambiguities, gaps, and overlaps, um, it's questionable who has responsibility to do certain aspects. And uh, when assets or resources uh, are are that are not needed, uh, that are needed or not provided, that causes problems. So if the senior person is accountable to authorize changes to guidance and assets, the subordinate people that report to that leader um, are accountable to execute the current guidance with current assets. And they're also accountable to notify uh, the person that's senior to them when there are deficiencies. So generally speaking, any leader that does not understand that their job is not to be a technical or professional expert, their job is the overall performance of their team. So when the leader clings to, you know, being an expert or technician, that's another uh, way that uh, poor leadership is manifested. So they're doing the work of their team member and they're not doing the work of, uh, say, being a manager, administrator, a coach or a systems thinker or visionary um, or, you know, working on their own personal development. Um, So when you do those sorts of things, that's when you can, you know, identify a, a problem with leadership. You know, Tom, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think a lot of folks who end up in leadership and management positions, they achieve those positions precisely because they were skilled. They have skills and talents as a as a uh, uh, an individual contributor, maybe a, a maintenance technician. So it's kind of hard for them to let, let that stuff go. Yeah. And the uh, Tim, the two hardest things for, say, if we're talking about a, uh, a tradesman that's being promoted to a supervisory role or even if, say, you're a staff near being promoted to engineering manager, the two most difficult things for a person new to leadership, uh, what they have to learn, the two more most difficult things are first putting down the tools, right? So to stop right. being an expert technician. Um, and what I say about that is somebody gave you the opportunity to learn your craft. So now you need to let your folks learn their craft. Obviously, if they get stuck, you should step in and help them when they ask for it. Um, and the, the second thing is um, uh, being able to correct people that used to be your peers. So when you see somebody, uh, when you're being attentive and you're watching and you're seeing somebody not following rules and regulations and policies and processes, um, speaking up and correcting their behaviors. Um, and correcting those folks that, you know, you, they may still be your hunting and fishing buddies, uh, but now you have to correct them because you're their boss. Um, right. In the book, I talk about how to deal with those situations and many others. Uh, so you, you, you've talked about some of the, some of the mistakes that leaders, uh, some leaders are making today. I wonder if you can cite any other common mistakes. Oh boy. The, the list is endless. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, if you think about, um, to me, everything boils down to uh, direction, guidance, assets, and execution, right? So direction is mission, vision, values, and objectives. Uh, Guidance, as I said, are policies, plans, processes, procedures, and measures. Assets are the things needed to carry out guidance. And then execution are the individual leadership skills uh, of the people who are accountable to execute, right? And so uh, any of the things, if I think about, so uh, when I talk about uh, the productive leadership model, uh, that is a leader provided with requirements and direction 
And so requirements are the combination of guidance and assets and direction is the mission, vision, values, and objectives. If a leader is provided with those things, then in order for them to execute, they need to know leadership roles, attributes, and skills. They need to know their sources of power. So how can they get people to do things? And they need to understand how to influence others. And that's having an understanding of uh, needs and motivation theories. And then they should also know how to set goals so that they can move towards those objectives. And so when you think about those things, anything that impacts or, or is deficient in those areas is a source of leadership problems, right? So when I talk about leadership roles, there's five roles. There's expert technician, uh, manager, administrator, coach, systems thinker, and visionary. So a common problem is if a leader is not managing their time correctly, they spend too much time as expert technician, probably not enough time on uh, manager, administrator, and not enough time on coaching. Sure. So when they're not doing enough manager, administrator type things, they're not making sure that, you know, labor hours are being recorded. They're uh, not managing the budget correctly. They're not, you know, not uh, procuring the tools and materials that the guys need, uh, the, the men and women in the work center need to, to carry out their tasks. If they're not doing enough coaching, then they're not developing the people on their team and giving them those opportunities to learn. If they're not doing enough systems thinking, they're not identifying opportunities to improve uh, the processes and procedures within their work center. And if they're not uh, spending at least a little bit of time being a visionary, they're not seeing things outside of their, uh, their group environment and they're not identifying the technologies or the regulatory changes that may be coming down the pike. Uh, you know, Tom, I, I get the feeling that uh, maybe we're putting the wrong people in leadership positions. I, are, are organizations doing, uh, do, I think I know the answer to this, but it sounds like organizations are doing a very good job choosing the people they put in leadership positions. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, right now, it's, a, it's especially uh, a problem because the hiring, right? Right now, the workforce is in the driver's seat with the way that the economy is going. And so... Uh, you know, a lot of organizations are taking who they can get and, and trying to train them up on the critical things. Uh, but one of the when I think about an organization that, say, has a high degree of turnover because, uh, you know, workforce personnel, if, if they can make a dollar an hour better someplace else, they'll leave right now. And right. so how do you make it more sticky for the, for people, make it harder for them to leave? Well, 80 percent of people tend to leave, uh, you know, over history. 80% of people leave because they work for a bad boss, not because right. their compensation is poor, right? And so uh, when you talk about uh, not having the right, uh, you know, uh, skills and abilities in the leadership team, that exasperates that problem, exacerbates that problem. And uh, so if you look at different, um, different research, only about 10 to 12% of leaders have the full complement of understanding roles, attributes, skills, knowing their sources of power, et cetera. Now, the, the second chapter in my book, I talk about the human brain, and I do that because I want people to understand that they can learn throughout their lives. And I also want them to understand the linkage between creating memories, and you create memories by creating the right guidance, policies, plans, processes, procedures, and measures. So you're telling people what are the right behaviors that you want, 
to be exhibited. And uh, so people can learn those behaviors. And so when you do behaviors often enough, it creates a habit. And when the majority of people in an organization all have the same habits, that becomes the culture. So, uh, yeah, so we can all learn how to be better leaders, but we have to be uh, shown the information and we have to use that information. There's also a, a lot of emphasis on uh, individual training. I remember when I was coming up uh, as, as an engineer, uh, the companies that I worked for had uh, internal training programs. We don't see that kind of stuff so much anymore. There's a lot more emphasis on, on uh, people uh, having to find the resources for training uh, on their own. Yeah, and, and this is another interesting thing, Tim, is that uh, I started writing that article in Plant Services Magazine over 11 years ago. And, um, you know, one of the things that I kept pointing out is uh, no matter what the, what, what the training is, if it's technical training, uh, professional training, leadership training, if it's butt and seat training, only about 10 to 20% of the information that is conveyed during that training session is retained. And wow. it doesn't get retained because, of, again, this is why I wrote the chapter on the brain. Uh, the way the human brain works is that new information that comes into our brain, we only retain it for a few seconds to a few minutes unless that information is repeated multiple times. Right. And if you sit in training for a day or two days or four days, whatever it is, and you load all this information into your brain, but if you, it, it's the old adage, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? And there are, right. there's actually four ways that you can lock information into your brain. I won't go into it because, you know, we only have 20 minutes or so today. Um, but uh, there's different ways that you can lock the information into your brain. So I started looking at this from the leadership training perspective. And same thing, people would go to the Holiday Inn, get a day or two days of leadership training, and they would train them on time management, communication, empowerment, conflict management, giving and receiving feedback. And they'd go back to the plant and nothing would change. <laughs> and the reason nothing changed was, number one, because of you know the human brain, as we just discussed. But the second reason was that there was not a system in the plant that supported good leadership. Right. And that's why I call it the productive leadership system, maximizing organizational reliability, because the system hasn't changed. You can train people all day long, but if they go back into that system and the system hasn't changed, you're, you're not going to get traction. Right. Tom, let me uh, come back to the topic of uh, a product reliability for just a minute. Um, how is the, the current practice of leadership that you've seen uh, making it harder to achieve product uh, quality and reliability. Oh, yeah. So this is, uh, you know, if you just think back to Deming and a lot of the things that he was espousing, uh, you know, you've got multiple functions within an organization, right? So uh, if you have multiple functions and you have one or two functions that are high performing within its within that environment, within that functions environment, but it's not interfacing with its peer functions or groups, you know, so uh, uh, there becomes conflict uh, or silos, then you can't get to a high level of reliability and quality. Uh, so what we try to do then, that's, that's why I try to attack this problem as calling it organizational reliability because it goes across the entire organization. Right. 
You know, it kind of reminds me, Tom, a little bit. I think uh, Duran was the one that said that uh, uh, 85% of the, the quality problems that we see are because of processes, not because of people. Right. And, and, uh, and Deming, uh, you know, a good, uh, a good person will be defeated by a bad process every time. <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. Yeah. And it's why I look at things, Tim. I, I always think about it as it's not the individual person; it's the system that they're working in, right? Exactly. So we, you know, I certainly within the model uh, I talk about the organizational reliability model. It applies across each leadership level, right? So a supervisor to their team member, a manager to the supervisors that report to them, you know, and you keep going up up the chain, right? So the plant manager to the department heads that sort of thing, and the CEO to the their direct reports, right? So it's across each level of leadership. There is a senior person and one or more subordinates that report to that person. The accountability for the senior person is to make sure that direction, guidance, and assets are provided and clear, clear so that the people that report to them can execute it. Um, the accountabilities for the subordinate person across each leadership level is to execute current guidance with current assets. Now, current guidance and current assets can be different than what the senior person authorized as the authorized guidance and authorized assets, right? So therefore, right. The, the subordinate person also has the accountability to notify the senior person when there's a deficiency in guidance or assets. Um, and and there's ways, you know, people say, yeah, sure. So I only got the, I've only got the uh, seven people in my work center, 9010. I tell my boss about it and the boss says, well, just figure it out and get it done. Well, when the boss senior person does that, they're abdicating their accountability. And looking yep. in, in my workshops, I uh, explain how do you do that? And the simplest way I can, I can explain it is in the military, I learned a phrase called unless otherwise directed. Right. Ah. And so what that means is if uh, if if my boss says just figure it out, I'm going to say fine and I'm going to do this in writing an email or some other form that's documented. I'm going to say, OK, so I only have seven people. So these are the pieces of guidance that I'm no longer going to do because I don't have the manpower to do it. Right. So otherwise directed, this is what I'm going to do. So in Got that it. case, the boss then doesn't respond, for instance. Okay, so he didn't respond. So that means he's concurring with my plan. He has the accountability. If he or she does respond and say, no, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to do this instead. Then you got what you wanted. That person took accountability and gave you direction. There you go. Boy, Tom, this has been great. Thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, absolutely. I loved it. And uh, happy to do it again anytime. Okay. That was Tom Moriarty, who is the president of Allidade MER Incorporated uh, and the author of The Productive Leadership System, Maximizing Organizational Reliability, again, available through Amazon and Industrial Press. To learn more about Allidade and Tom's recent book, go to www.allidade, that's A-L-I-D-A-D-E, uh, hyphen M-E-R.com. We'll provide the link. Uh, on the show notes for this recording. This is Tim Rogers. Thanks very much for joining us.